if you were to walk down the hallway back toward the bedrooms of a house built in the 1950s, you would most likely encounter a little niche in the wall. And that little niche would have a small shelf on it. Hmm, now I wonder what that's for. Flowers? Well, no, there's not really enough sunlight in a hallway. It can't be for flowers. Maybe it's for a statue. Well, no, not really a statue because it's too small. And besides, who would see a statue in the hallway? Hmm, I know. A telephone. A what? A telephone. You know what those are? Every home used to have one. And yes, just one. But this little dial on the front and ten holes and you put your finger in it and you spin it to the right and let it go and on and on you go till you get the person that you are trying to call. And yes, you had to talk on the phone right there in, in the hallway in front of God and everybody. <laughs> and yeah, you might go running down the hall to answer the phone and answer it and it's not for you. Hey Ma, it's for you! Because everybody used the same phone in the house. Now, you and I could say, silly old people in the 1950s. You know, here they went and messed up a perfectly good wall with a telephone table. But then we realized that telephone tables made sense back then. Sleek phones recessed into the wall. Instead of hanging and dangling on the wall, all ugly, that's what thoroughly modern people did. We look back and we consider them antique in their thinking and in their attitudes. We probably would not seek counsel from these people. And if we did, we, we would believe it, it might not be much good to us. I mean, after all, Ricky and Lucy slept in twin beds. How did people in the 1950s even conceive children anyway? <laughs> so these laws before us, that we're going to read this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 22. They seem far removed for us. They seem not to have any meaning to us, just like a telephone table is of no use to you in your home now. So that may cause us to dismiss God's word and God's law as antiquated. But you and I have to be careful in our thinking about God's word, all of it. Because how we view God's word impacts how we view the God that wrote it. And if we're not careful, we may begin to view God as an out-of-touch God who doesn't really get the world now and how it works. And if we come to these laws and judge them to be senseless or trivial or random, then you and I are implying something about the character of God. That God is trivial capricious, unaware of the world, irrelevant. And yet we know that God is none of those things. God is not trivial. God is relevant always. He's aware of everything. He's more progressive than you and I are. So no matter what we initially think as we read these laws, we've got to remember that when God commanded them, when he gave them to his people, they made sense. And therefore we come to laws like this humbly. And we come respectfully. 
and we come giving the word of God, all of it, the dignity that it deserves as being given to thoroughly modern people and culturally important and very relevant at the time that God gave them and by principle important to you and me this morning as well. Realizing that as we obey God in all things, as we obey God in all things, we are becoming the set-apart people that God calls us to be. As we obey God in all things, we are becoming the set-apart people that He calls us to be. The set-apart people that we must be. We must be if we're ever going to make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake. So if you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 22, you're ahead of me, I don't. But let's stand together as we hear read the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 22, beginning in verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go so that it will go well with you and you may have a long life. When you build a new house, make a parapet around the roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Do not plant two kinds of seeds in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for all of it. Lord, it teaches us truth. Every utterance from your mouth is of benefit to us. And so we come now to your word, looking for your truth, looking in your word for how it is that you want us to live and how to be the people that you've called us to be. So toward that end, Lord, we pray that you would bless us this morning. Bless us to be that set-apart people that you've called us to be. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. I want to set the stage for what we are going to talk about this morning by giving you a little bit of a conversation that took place between Moses and God. Moses isn't sure that he wants to keep leading the, the, the chosen people into the promised land. And so he says this to God. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me or with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? That's the conversation that Moses had with God. And he realizes that God's people are to be set apart from all other people on the face of the earth. And Moses realizes that it's God's presence and God's presence alone that will set God's people apart. And it's a presence made known to us by a God who speaks his truth to his people. I hesitate to say go backward in Deuteronomy. It's taking us long enough to go forward, but we need to go back in Deuteronomy. And this is what we heard in Deuteronomy chapter 4. What other nation is so great 
as to have their gods near to them the way our, the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? God's presence and God's word, that's what sets God's people apart from everyone else. These laws that we read this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 22, they were given to a people who were leaving Egypt for 430 years. These people had lived in Egypt. It's the only life they knew. Now God has called them out of Egypt. And he set them apart for a life to be lived as God defines life. And so if his people are going to live well in this promised land that he is giving to them, if their lives are going to be set apart, then they must abide by these laws. So when we look at these verses before us this morning... We see that one behavior, one behavior that sets God's people apart is that they acknowledge and live according to God's created order. What will set them apart is acknowledging God's created order and living by it. Now look in verse 5. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Clearly. This verse is not about fashion. It's not. This verse is about God's created order. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. This is God's created order. God's plan. God's desire for humanity. All people created in the image of God, but distinctly created as male and female. And until a few decades ago, unalterably so. But now we see our culture chipping away, or perhaps more accurately, jackhammering away at God's created order. Now we seek to override that order. Now we just seek to obliterate it all together. A couple of weeks from now, on November 3rd, Houston voters will decide the fate of Proposition 1. It's called the HERO referendum. And HERO stands for Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. And it was passed by the City Council of Houston months ago, and many people in Houston want it repealed. The mayor of Houston got herself in trouble when she subpoenaed the sermons of pastors that she believed was speaking against this ordinance. So apparently equal rights didn't apply to those who opposed her. But anyway, there was part of this ordinance at some point was what was called the bathroom bill. Do y'all know about the bathroom bill? It would allow you to use the bathroom of whichever gender you identify with. It says, it doesn't matter what you are under your clothes, whatever gender you identify with, that's the bathroom that you can use. Now, what do you say? You know, I think the intent was to reduce the shock. You know, you're a man and standing beside you is this beauty queen looking thing. But, oh, no, it's actually a man. Oh, Or you're a woman in the bathroom and a bearded lady comes in dressed like a lumberjack and they don't want to scare you. Nevertheless, what about the vast majority of people who identify with 
their gender. And besides that, how are you going to police this? Who are you going to give a ticket to? It's chaos. It's confusion. It's a circus waiting to happen. And yet the mayor of Houston considers this the most important accomplishment in her three-term tenure as mayor. And at this point, it's unclear which way the vote will go in Houston, whether for it or against it. See, our culture increasingly insists that how God created you and who God created you has nothing to do with who you really are. You get to decide that, and you should change what you don't like. And we're being conditioned not to attempt to direct people to identify with the gender they are. Boys and girls, and you know I'm telling the truth, They're to be left alone to self-identify and to suggest that they may be confused about their gender or to attempt to help them out of that confusion is a cultural anathema. Don't do it. But God, here in his word, is extreme in his wording. It says he detests it. He detests it when people go against his created order. But what is the the, the, the source of that abhorrence that God feels. It's because God knows that his created order is good and right and well-pleasing. God knows that when people live according to his created order, there is blessing. God knows that living outside of his created order leads to chaos and confusion and devastation and death. Now, I mentioned this about Houston is just one example of what's going on in our culture, not to promote hate or disgust. Listen, we've got problems enough of our own in our own lives that we need to deal with. But I mention it simply to say that being different and being set apart by God's presence and by God's word is going to become increasingly more difficult for us. It's going to become increasingly unacceptable. And so the question for us is, are we willing to pay the price for living a set-apart life for God? Are we praying now, ahead of time, for strength to live that set-apart life? If you and I will make a difference for Jesus' sake here in this place, you and I have to live by and proclaim God's created order. There's another part of God's created order that's protected in this prohibition in verse 5. And that is that some pagan cultures at the time used cross-dressing as part of these magical fertility rites. You're a couple, you want to have a baby, and so, okay, you dress like a man and you dress like a woman. It's part of this magical thing, and if you do that, then you're going to conceive and have a child. What's God's created order? God's created order is prayer. God tells us in his word to pour out our hearts before him. So that's what we do. We pour out our hearts before God in prayer and we trust his power and his goodness and his perfect will with the results. Prayer is God's created order. Kathy and I sit in the rocking chairs on our front porch. Really, we do. Front porch, rocking chairs. Every single morning, we have our coffee there early. And often we'll read Oswald Chambers' devotional, My Utmost, for 
his highest. People drive by. <laughs> Look at that old couple on their front porch. So I stumbled over and I had to reread Friday's devotional because it surprised me. This is what Oswald Chambers wrote. Naturally, prayer is not practical. It's absurd. We have to realize that prayer is stupid. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, he writes, prayer is stupid from the ordinary common sense point of view. It's shocking to hear someone say that, isn't it? That prayer is stupid. But prayer is stupid from the ordinary common sense point of view. But I'm telling you, what the world needs, what our world needs, is more stupid people like us. <laughs> Truly. People who believe in prayer and relate to God through prayer. People who don't come before God and dictate to God how it should be or what it should be or how it should be. But people who just come before the Lord in prayer and say, I am yours. Your will be done. This is God's created order. God is sovereign. We are not. God is control and control. We are not. We humbly seek from him. He abundantly gives to us. That's God's way. And so I wonder who it is that God might draw to us out of this culture. This culture around us is becoming increasingly more chaotic because we follow God's created order and because we are people of prayer. Now let's move on. Let's look at the commands in verses 9 and 10 and 11. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Odd. But they, like verse 5, are also related to God's created order. They follow the order of a God who separates things. God separates light from darkness, day from night, life from from death. We know that in the end, God will separate the sheep, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, from the goats, those who not, do not believe, the sheep to everlasting life, the goats to everlasting destruction. God separates things. God himself is separated from all. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Psalm 97, 9, for you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Now, when we lose sight of this aspect of God's created order, that God is separate from and above all, then our lives immediately begin to go off track. Because we can dismiss as unimportant We can disobey a God who is just like us. A God that we have created in our own image. And if we're telling the truth, a God that we believe nowadays is below us. His wisdom is not up to par with ours. And that belief is not going to land any person or any culture in a good place. We've got to always remember that God is above us. And though Jesus, God incarnate, he came to earth, he made his dwelling among us. It is Jesus 
that God exalts to the highest place. It is to Jesus that God gives the name that is above every name. It is to Jesus that God gives the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God loves you with an everlasting love. Never doubt that. God sent Jesus because he loves sinners like you and like me. Never doubt that. You are important to the Lord. You are precious to the Lord. Never doubt that. But I hate to tell you, you are not going to be exalted to the highest place. Jesus is. And it's not at the mention of your name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It's at the name of Jesus. I'm just saying. Quote Samuel Rutherford again. I quote him last week, 17th century Scottish Presbyterian theologian and pastor. He says, "'Tis, tis, tis, tis an untruth that God loveth his chosen ones, that's you and me, as he doth love his son, that is with the same degree of love wherewith he loves his son. I think that not far from either gross ignorance or blasphemy.'" Jesus is so other, so set apart from us, even while he walked among us, separate from us, above us. And so most likely the mixing of the seeds here and the animals and the, and the cloth, the prohibition to do so here, probably had some associations with Egypt. And God has said to them, leave Egypt behind. We do know that the ox was a clean animal, the donkey an unclean animal. You could eat the ox, you couldn't eat the donkey. And so perhaps God is saying, keep these separate. Don't yoke together that which is clean with that which is unclean. You know, some of the reasons and the connections to these laws have been lost to us through thousands of years. But we can make this connection through these. That God is keeping his people on track with this thinking Be separate. God is reminding his people to think this way. God is separate from us. God is high above us. God is infinitely beyond us. Therefore, because we belong exclusively to this God, he's called us to be separate, distinguishable, different from the world around us. Do not plant these seeds together. Do not plow with an ox and donkey. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen mixed together. And so it is with us, the church. The Greek word for church used in the New Testament is ekklesia. And it means called out ones. People called out from their homes. People called out from their businesses. People called out from the public sector. People called from all sorts of places. Come out and come together. As those who love and are loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. You belong to him. Separate. Set apart unto him. As we read in the service this morning earlier. From 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Therefore come out and be separate from them, says the Lord. And so for you and me right now. As believers in Christ, we've got to ask ourselves. You've got to ask yourself. How are you mixing with the world? What's your true motivation for mixing with the world? Are you out among the people of the world to be salt and light? Are you mixing with the world to be the aroma of Christ 
and life, if that's your motivation, then please mix with the world. But if your motivation for mixing with the world is to be more like them because their lifestyle looks more attractive to you than yours as a believer does, or if you are mixing with them to evade detection and to avoid being labeled as Oswald Chambers labeled us as absurd or stupid, then don't mix with the world. If that's your motivation to evade detection, then you need to come out from among them until you can get yourself in a place with the Lord and with an understanding of the gospel that allows you to go back into the world as salt and light and as the aroma of Christ. If we're going to make a difference in this city for Jesus' sake, we've got to be people who follow the created order of God, and we've got to be people who know how to rightly mix with the world, not just for our sakes, but for theirs as well. Now I want to quickly look at the remainder of chapter 22. Would you look there in chapter 22? From verse 12 on to the end of it, we didn't read it all. But I just want to say a couple of things about it because some of the topics covered here we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we, we talked about that woman, the foreign woman who was taken captive during battle. But when you read these verses on your own, you're going to see that they contain what I'm calling seven sex scenarios. And each of these scenarios in some way goes beyond God's created order for things. And I don't want to talk about each of them or, or, or the culture of the day. I just want to point that out, that each of these involves going outside of God's created order, which is this. Here's God's creative order. You ready? Boy meets girl. Boy loves girl. Girl loves boy. Boy and girl marry. Boy and girl have sex. That's God's scenario. There's not another one put forward for us in Scripture. This is God's creative order. Now, all of these scenarios in the remainder of chapter 22 somehow go beyond that created order. Boy meets girl, la, da da that God has given to us. They go outside of God's created order either to get out of a marriage that you decide you don't want to be in once you've committed to it. They go outside of God's creative order to enjoy the pleasures of marriage before you're married. They go outside of God's created order and violently taking from someone else what's intended only for marriage. They go outside of God's created order and taking someone that belongs to someone else. The point of all of these for God's people is to set apart marriage and sex as sacred to the Lord. Now, if you set apart marriage and sex as sacred to the Lord, a couple things are going to happen. It's going to bring purity to the community of faith. And it's going to set you apart from all the other cultures of the world who do not have that same view. Following God in this way. You you and I are so conditioned by our culture that we think these laws are totally out of place in our world today. They are a relic from the past 
when, when, when those ancient people, when they were, well, when they were, their views were, well, well, what? What's wrong with this view of sex and marriage? What's wrong with it? What harm does God's created order bring? Following God's creative order keeps you healthy. No sexually transmitted diseases. Keeps you emotionally secure. You belong to another exclusively. And you don't have to compare yourself or compete with with other people for your partner's attention. It enables you to be able to find a match better because you have to get to know that person. Actually get to know them and their character. Because God's way eliminates the possibility of evading issues just by jumping in bed and forgiving everything else because that's so much fun. God's ways keeps your home intact. So I'm telling you, I, I can't find any negative about this except for this, that you don't get immediate gratification or you don't get gratification without commitment. Wah, wah. When you view yourself as a slave to immediate gratification, well, I'm just not able, I'm not able to commit, then you don't think much of yourself. And you devalue yourself and how God has created you and the power that he has given you, and you've not yet embraced a biblical view of yourself or the power of the gospel or the power of the Spirit of God in you. I know that I talk a lot about making a difference for Jesus' sake. But I honestly believe that's why God has placed us here, to make a difference in our community, in our city, in our world, for Jesus' sake. There's so much bound up in the gospel. Not just that God loves us, though he does. The gospel also tells us that God loves the world. The gospel is also about our love for God. A love that Jesus defines like this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Or 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, you and I live out the gospel. We love those around us who are not yet believers in Christ by not being like them. We love them by not being like them, by being set apart from them, by being different from them because we are indwelled by the Spirit of God and guided by the truth of God's Word. We're different, not only because God commands us to be, but because we love them enough to be different. What an opportunity God has given you and me to come out in a biblical sense 
of the word. We're going to sing it in just a minute. To come out of our bondage and sorrow and night into his freedom and his gladness and his light. It's awesome. Out of our sickness and into his health. Out of our want and into his wealth. Out of our shameful failure and loss into the glorious gain of his cross. Out of earth's sorrows into his balm. Out of life's storms and into Christ's calm. Out of the fear and dread of the tomb into the joy and light of Christ's home, and finally out of the depths of ruin untold, into the peace of Christ's sheltering fold, ever his glorious face to behold, Jesus, I come to thee. Is that not worth coming out for? Is that not worth separating yourself for? How awesome is the privilege that God has given to us to be called out, And to come to Christ. And then letting him make a difference through us. Because we love him. Because we live our lives according to his order. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know, we know, it is so clear throughout your word that you have called us to be a people set apart unto you. You say it in so many ways in so many places. Peculiar people. You call us. Aliens, you call us, who are wandering on this earth as we make our way toward our true home. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage in the midst of this difficult culture in which we live to be brave enough to be people who live lives set apart unto you. Lord, all of us know the difficulty, and I bet everyone in this room has received ridicule for speaking your truth, even about some of the issues about which we've spoken today. We truly appear as relics of the past. Lord, we are labeled as those who hate, and yet we're those who love, because we know that living in your way brings life and health and brings sense to the chaos of people's lives. And so we love them enough to speak their truth to them, your truth to them. So I pray now, Lord, for that courage to, to live by your order, to tell others of your order, where we trust ourselves into you and to your care and believe that because of that, we can make a difference in this place for the gospel. And that's what we long for, Lord to be transformed ourselves and to see others come out, to be called out, Lord. The death and destruction of this world into the light of your kingdom. We pray that you would accomplish that in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.